boy's got utter belief in it. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. We're just days away from a kick-ass 2022 USATF Outdoor Championships, which start on Thursday in Eugene, and we will have boots on the ground of coverage for you, of course. But today, we'll break down all of the big events in this podcast. You're not going to want to miss that. We also have breaking news about Donovan Brazier. Will he show up at USA's, or might he skip them and the world championships plus if you like the 800 you're gonna love this podcast Cade flat has come so close yet again to the 800 u.s high school record Tolman salman has taken down gary martin in the 800 we had a fast diamond league 800 plus sepco suggested there may be some changes to world athletics transgender policy jonathan galt has a solution to the madness that is six high school nationals and Jonathan Galt is here with a smile on his face. John, it's good to see you. How were the four days of bereavement that we gave you? Well, we tried to give you four, but you're such a hard worker. You worked for part of the first day after your Boston Celtics were eliminated from the NBA Finals. Yeah, Friday was mostly working on that profile of Paul Strelakis, Gary Martin's coach. Pretty, If you haven't read it yet, check it out. It's a pretty cool story. Diagnosed with prostate cancer in March. Gary Martin had no idea his coach was going through this when he ran his 357 at his conference meet in May. And the craziest thing, that might not be the craziest thing about this story, the craziest thing I thought was that Paul Strelekis had never coached a sub-five miler until Gary Martin came along. He coached at a girls' school and then started at Gary Martin's school, Archbishop Wood, a couple years ago. That was his first sub five miler, and now he's a 357, sixth fastest high school of all time. So that's what I was spending Friday doing. And then over the weekend, I had a fantastic Father's Day. The US Open golf tournament was played at the Country Club in Brookline, which is only a couple miles away from my apartment. And I was lucky enough to get to go with my dad. And we walked around the course, saw some of the leaders at the end, and the tournament. Really, really dramatic ending. Matt Fitzpatrick beat Wolf Zalatoris on the final hole. We had a great view for the final putts. And Matt Fitzpatrick's English. It was a very English day weather-wise. You know, cold, kind of overcast, a little damp. So it was appropriate that he won. My dad was overjoyed that an Englishman won. It was really cool to spend the day with him. First ever major tournament I'd been to. So, yeah, terrific weekend, but... Now I'm back, ready to go, energized to head out to Eugene tomorrow for a fantastic USA Championships. Thanks for asking, Jonathan. Weldon and I had a wonderful Father's Day ourselves. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Happy belated Father's Day to the both of you. Robert, I had no idea. I mean, John said he wanted some vacation. I didn't know he's off at the U.S. Open, but glad you and Mr. Galt had a good Father's Day, John. I was wondering why some British guy won. I'm curious, what's it like, John? I'm assuming people will pay hundred. People say track and field is boring, yet people will pay hundreds of dollars to to wander around and occasionally see a white ball fly through the air when you really have no idea what the score is, who these people are. How does it compare to watching a track and field meet? 
Well, it's a lot easier to watch track and field meet. Like, golf is definitely one of the more challenging spectator sports. They actually had a terrific U.S. Open app that has a map of the course, and you, know, you can get directions to any hole really easily. You can see who's on what hole at what time. It's got a scoreboard. You know what the score is. You can keep track of that. Uh, you do have to plan ahead a little bit. Like, if you want to see a group on a certain hole, you kind of have to get there a few pairings ahead of when they're playing because then people will leave and you can get towards the front and get a good view. But, you know, this is the par threes. You can see most of the hole from one spot, so that's pretty nice. You know, it's definitely... If it hadn't been such a close ending, maybe I would have felt differently, but the way it ended and we got to see some of the drama on 10, 11, 12 with the leaders, I, I, I had a great time. It was really fun, but you definitely have to come prepared and sort of know what you're doing. All right, guys, we should turn to track and field. And it's USA's week, so that means you got to enter the Let's Run.com $200,021 prediction contest. Can we add another dollar onto that? Well, oh, 22. Yeah. 22. Excuse me. 22. I knew I was getting something wrong. You get a perfect ballot. Pick top three in every running event. We'll give you 200 grand. Pick the top three in every distance event. And there's one less distance event. We haven't even backed off on that. All you got to do is pick the top three. 800, 1500, 5K steeple. Men and women. Come on, guys and gals. It's not that hard. Top three in our contest wins on shoes. Free Supporters Club membership. If you're not a Supporters Club member, fake Josh Kerr told you last week you need to join today. And also, guys, you got to check this out. What if I told you there's a performance mouthpiece for runners? Yes, Airwave now has an endurance performance mouthpiece. It directs your tongue down and forward, increasing your airway, opening by up to 25%. Remember how... Sprinter used to kind of wear a chain in his mouth. That might be changing his position of his airwave. And this has peer-reviewed research. It can reduce your respiratory rate by up to 20%. Faster recovery times by reducing cortisol buildup by 50%. This research is by Dr. Dina Gardner, head of research at the Citadel. They're a, airwave is a supporting sponsor of USA Triathlon. You have nothing to lose. Try it out. Go to airwave, A-I-R-W-A-A-V dot com slash L-R-10 and you'll save 10% off with our link. Try it out today. Link in the show notes. And after you do that, folks, again, end of the prediction contest. Do us a favor. Spread the word. I am interested in trying to make the sport of tracking feel more popular. And I think this prediction contest is fun. You can say, hey, your friends, just take five minutes. You can pick three people. It doesn't take any time. Maybe they can win some money. They could beat you even though they don't know that much about track and field because we make it easy for you. Also, if you want to call us, 844-538-7786. That's 844-LET'S-RUN. Are sports betting legal in Massachusetts? No. But I want to put the word out. I want as many people entering this contest as possible so I can beat as many of you as possible. So please, if you want to lose to me in the contest... I'd love to see it. Yes, we're allowed to win our own contest. And actually, there's someone on this podcast who has one of the one of the one one of the Let's Run podcast. Sorry, Let's Run prediction contests in the past. 2016 NCAA cross country, baby. Let's go. 
Wondering how Ben Rosario, if he's sending you betting tips on the U.S. Open, the Hoka NAZ, no longer the coach, I guess. What's he called now? The director. It makes golf better. But if the sports book is going to offer an odds on the USO, U.S. championships, please, somebody, we need betting on the sport. People say betting's the solution of track and field. No, it's not. I can go bet right now on the Argentinian Premier League, the Malaysian Second Division League, but I can't bet on track and fields. Come on, a couple of sports books offer something. Everyone in Let's Run, which is at one point was a, it's, we've one of the most educated audiences on the internet, period. I think it's like top 20 most educated audiences, upper income audience, everyone in Let's Run, you know, they make, what is it? 250K a year and they have hot wives and can break 15 minutes for 5K? 14 minutes for 5K, I thought. Oh, 14, I'm sorry. So. Yeah, all right. So let's talk about some track and field. I think before we hit our big USA preview, we should visit a couple of the stories from last week. Since we had him on the podcast as a guest, I think we should start with Cade Flat the terrific high school 800-meter runner. He went for the national record of 146.45 at the New Balance Nationals Outdoors in Philadelphia on Friday night and came agonizingly close. It's pretty crazy, his season. The record's 146.45. At the New York City Trials of Miles meet, he runs 146.51, and then... At New Balance Nationals, he runs 146.48. So he has the second and third fastest times ever by a high schooler. He's come combined within nine hundredths of a second of it on these two races, but Michael Granville's national record still survives. And he'll get another crack at it. K-Flat is running the 800 at USA Senior Nationals this week in Eugene. So could fall there. But this, this race was actually very interesting because... There were two things, I think, had they gone a little differently, maybe he shaves those extra 300s off and gets the record. And one is the pacemaker went out way too fast, so Cade wasn't very close to him. And two, there was another kid in the race who actually tried to go with him and was kind of leading in the early going. Cade had to run on the outside, a little extra distance. Now, I've seen some people saying, oh, you know, this is amateur hour. Well, Actually, it is amateur hour that high school is like, it's a race. You know, I, I kind of feel bad for Cade because he ended up winning this race by more than three seconds. Like clearly no one else in this field was running 146. So should, if you're not going to do that and you know, this guy's making a record attempt, should you be up there? Probably not. But at the same time, it's running. Like th- this is a race. You're allowed to do what you want in a race. I'm not going to blast a kid for trying to win and go to the front. Totally agree, John. This is high school. Now, we know it's nuts. Well, I don't know. Some kid from, what, South Dakota went from 407 to sub-4 in one race, so maybe we shouldn't say this. We know it's nuts. None of these guys were going to hang with Cade Flat. For someone to go out there in front of them, it's kind of amateur hour, but these guys are still one of the, you know, whoever this guy was, still one of the top highest scorers in the country. In his mind, he's like, I'm going to just suck it up and beat Cade Flat. You can't really criticize it. And Rojo loves to say, John, if you keep improving, you'll break the world record. But if Cade Flat keeps improving, will he ever break Michael Granville's record? He keeps improving and he's, you know. It's the Zeno's paradox of 800 runners. Good reference there, John. But 
Hey, we had Kate on the podcast last week. You should definitely listen listen to it if you haven't. And Kate's from Kentucky, John. I'm from Texas, so you know we're not from the Northeast. But I've run the pin relays before. I've never seen good running weather at Penn ever. I haven't been to Penn in June, but I just was like, this is not the place to break the record. The track's weird. I'm like, I just didn't think it's going to happen. So the fact he came that close in a high school only race, granted he had a rabbit. I guess that begs the question, will he break the record this year, this weekend at the USA Senior Nationals? Well, first I need a ruling from Rojo if he runs faster than the high school record at USA's this weekend, will it count? Because clearly he's much past graduation. We're at the end of June here, Robert. Will you consider this the high school record if he runs faster than 146.45 in Eugene this week? Yes, I will consider it the illegitimate high school record, just like all of Ch- Edward Cheswick's records are illegitimate at the high school level. Is this a reference to the fact that Kate is 19? You saying he's overage and that his record shouldn't Despite count? Despite what Walden thinks, it? I think May. My best friend, one of my best friends from high school, is a May birthday. He was a faster runner than us. It certainly helps. Yeah, that was the main reference. But in terms of the timing, can you get to the substance of my question? Like, he's 19. He's allowed to be a high schooler. Do, I don't have do a problem. Like- I, I, the rules are very simple to me. It's before college starts. So I, I would say, like, September 1 for me would be fine for high school. For college, it's different. The moment of your senior year NCAAs, that's it for me because there's no set deadline for a high schooler, but there is a set deadline for collegiate competition, and it's the NCAA championships of your senior year to set a, a, a uh, collegiate record. By the way, if you know how old Edward Cheserk is, please email me, Robert at Let's Run, Robert at Let's Run. I had sent a guy that I used to coach at Cornell to Edward Chedrick's elementary school. Tell me how old he was. He figured it out when he was there. But he didn't want to publish the story because he liked Edward, met his mother, blah, blah, blah. But I bumped him into a wedding this weekend in California. And what he was telling me didn't match up with what he said like five or six years ago, but... It would match up with why the fact that Edward Cheswick hasn't gotten much faster since, hasn't gotten faster since college. I don't think. Right, he's PR'd actually in the five thousand, but not a whole lot. And in the mile, he ran three forty nine. He's improved. I don't know why you're so obsessed with Edward Cheswick's age, Robert. You gotta just let this go. Like he's a professional now. This stuff that. Oh no! I told the guy I was fine. I, I'm glad we didn't expose it if it's true because, what good does it do? But it bothers me at the high school level to be a little bit old. But I'm into this high school stuff. Look, you're not even talking about the biggest high... Look, some guy... I didn't watch the race, but some guy got ahead of Kate Flat. So what? Then that means Kate, Kate's Kate is rabbiting off that guy. So there was a high schooler helping him out, and you guys are complaining that some guy decided to run with him. There's nothing wrong with that. What I was more interested in was this Gary Martin versus Colin Solomon event at 800 at the Brooks meet, and Colin Solomon pretty much destroyed him at 800, which is kind of what I thought would happen, and that's kind of what I think would happen in the mile if they raced. Just his speed at the end would be too good. So that was interesting to me. And the other thing that was interesting to me was just how many goddamn high school nationals there are. So I'm coming back from this wedding on the West Coast, and there's someone on my plane from from wearing a Nike, New Balance, Nike outdoor national thing, and they were in Eugene. I talked to the dad, blah, blah, blah. On my way home in the cab, I'm on Facebook. This girl I know has got two kids. She flies out to Oregon for her one kid, 
to bust five in the mile for the first time ever in his life, flies back to see her other kid run another national meet in Philadelphia. Like, how do the kids pick which national meet they're going to be? And if you're a certain age, do you go to one place? And if you're a certain level, do you go to another place? I mean, it seems chaos, and it's starting to bother me a little bit, John. Also, can we talk about the wealth privilege here? Who can afford to flood all these meets? No wonder kids are faster nowadays. If, if your parents are willing to spend three grand for you to fly out to Oregon so you can bust five for the first time, of course you're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, some some of these kids, I think for the Brooks one, Brooks will fly them out because that's more of an that's an invitational. That's not like a meet you qualify for. But this is something that people have been complaining about for some time is that there are too many high school nationals. And when there are four national champions, there's really zero national champions. But the, I saw this idea that I thought was very interesting. It will probably never happen in reality, but it was by this guy Tuck on Twitter. And he said, let's have one meet with all four shoe companies. Top nine individuals and relays have a golden ticket. The rest of the competitors enter like we do now. We have a rising emerging up next up decision, division as well. The four shoe companies draft your top athletes, then assign the rest on a descending order list. There's a team score. Nice competition for the shoe company's bragging rights, if you will. Bring a retired athlete from Nike, Adidas, Brooks, and New Balance to be the GM of their respective shoe company. They will come to the meet to support their team and interact with the kids. What an honor for these student-athletes. Which shoe company is the best? This is a real national championship. Rotate it between Penn, Oregon, North Carolina, A&T, Drake each year. Please let's come together. The sports needs this. So in theory, I love this idea. I think it would be really fun. You know, the brands would still get a connection with a lot of the athletes, but it's, you'd get all the best athletes in one spot, which is what most of the athletes want. And I think what the fans is want, want as well. The problem with this is there are more than four shoe companies in the sport, you know, whichever four get, Invited, like, say it's like Adidas, New Balance, Brooks, and Nike. Well, On's going to want a part of that. Hoka's going to want a part of that. You know, there are other brands on the outside looking in who are going to want to do that. And also, the reason these meets set up the New Balance Nationals or the Nike Nationals out in Oregon or the Brooks PR Invitational is because they get all their athletes in that gear. They get to make, you know, sell the kids on their brand. It's a showcase for them. You know, they don't want to be sharing the spotlight with these other brands. You know, you do that at the senior level of USA Nationals, but, I, you know, it's it's a nice concept. I'm fully supportive of it. I just don't think it has a chance of actually coming to fruition. Yeah, I don't know why we're wasting our time on this, John. It's not going to happen. And this podcast mainly is about professional track and field. But one more thing on this high school stuff. Have you guys seen Michael Granville's race? I think it only got uploaded like in the last year or two on YouTube. It doesn't have that many views. The full race is up. I'm glad the dude still got the record. And if Cade breaks it, fine. I'll still put the Granville thing in its own thing. And this is like the Gary Martin. Robert's talking about Gary Martin, Colin Salmon, and 800. Who cares? It's their off event. Of course Colin Salmon's going to beat him. He's already run way faster than Gary Martin at 800 this year. It's like not even shocking or newsworthy. But Granville goes out. It's a prelim at the state meet. I don't know why he did this. We, we, we need to get him on the podcast. And just 
drops a 146, no rabbit, no nothing in the prelim, and kind of puts up his hands at the finish, and the announcer says something, but it wasn't, there was, like, no tremendous fanfare, like, not a lot of anticipation beforehand. It's just, it was beautiful. It's what track and field's about. And he never, ever ran faster the rest of his life. I guess that's the sad part of the story, or the beautiful part of the story, right? Michael has written extensively about it. I think it was on Diestat a couple years ago. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. One of the reasons why he did it that day was his abusive father said, son, today's the do it. Today's the do it. Today's the day you do it. There's no wind. Now, Michael said in this article that he'd already decided that was the day he was going to do it, but he'd been in a huge fight with his dad, who sounds like an absolute prick. So it's a really cool story, though, like about from his perspective on everything. But before we get to USA's, can we take one step back? We've had two Diamond Leagues since we recorded this main podcast. And unfortunately, since most of the people on this podcast, I probably shouldn't reveal this, are too cheap to pay for the Supporters Club podcast, some people have not heard our take. But Robert, I Robert, I think saying too cheap, you're not giving our listeners enough credit. Some of them, maybe they just haven't gotten around to it yet. Or maybe there's first-time listeners who haven't gotten there. We don't want to be sounding coming across as a jerk here. We love our listeners. We just want you to love us back a little bit. Let's run.com slash subscribe. You get another one of these every week. Uh, you're not cheapskates. Right. You're just not, you know, you haven't come well, to, you know. What? This is why. And for anything, Robert, what do you know where the majority of people pay? No. I feel like we have a good uptake. Well, on we this. do have a good uptake, but I'm just saying this is what the different type of coaches there are. Sometime you, you know, embarrass somebody and they will pay. If you're a stripper and you say, hey, dude, how many, how long are you going to stare without paying up? A lot of the guys might be, throw a $20 bill out there. Some people like to be praised. Oh, you're the best looking guy that's been into this bar tonight. And then they pay up. So I'm, I'm just, I'm doing the hard love. You guys are doing the soft love. But... I, on Friday, on, on the Subscribers Only podcast, I, I was extensively praising Ollie Hoare, and I just want to take it all back. We were, I don't know what I was raving about. I, I looked at the Dream Mile results, and I, for some reason I was super impressed about it because he said he was going to go after Jacob Ingenbritson. But I think what he said was he was going to take the lead with 300 to go. That did not happen. And I actually look at the results. Do you guys realize he was closer He's farther away from Jacob Ingebrigtsen in the Dream Mile than he was at the Pre-Classic Mile. Uh, that doesn't totally shock me, but he said, "Look, he said his plan was to take the lead at 300 meters to go. The problem is, he was running 347 pace. Like when he's running a big PR in the mile, and then you the only way that he can take the lead is by running even faster. That's not feasible. Like." I give him credit. He went out really hard, but sometimes you can just, you can say, oh, I want to take the, my plan is to take the lead in the Olympic 1500 final with 50 meters to go. But you actually have to be fit enough to get there. It's really hard. But it's just interesting to me because I felt like he was closer to Jakob in Oslo than he was in Pre, but the reality was it was more than one second in Oslo. It was like 0.89 at Pre. So why is that? Why did I think it was closer? Just because I was stunned to see someone close to him on the American record attempt? Well, no, it was a European record attempt. I think why you thought that was because Hoare got on him 
and stayed on him for most of the race. So it was still, with about 200 meters to go, he was still pretty close. And then Jakob separated, but they were close together for more of the race. Whereas at pre, Jakob just had that gap at the bell and was gone, essentially. And then Hoare closed fast, but the race was already over at that point. Yeah. But my big takeaway from this race is, well, I love Jakob. I love watching him. But it made me think, and this doesn't make any sense because I'm contradicting myself, the margin between him or Hoare and getting bigger. But is he actually vulnerable at a Worlds? And what made me think this was Steve Cramp, the European record holder who was broadcasting on the international feed. And he kind of took a shot at, at Jakob. Did y'all kind of hear that thing of that way? He's like, well, he has one way to run. And it needs to be fast and it needs to be honest. Otherwise, we assume he's not going to win. Now, we've never seen him jog around in a tactical 1500. I've never seen him do that in his entire life. So we don't know. But he's not that quick at 800. And he's got like a, what, a 146 PB? So people assume that he would lose. Maybe that, I'm not sure if that's the best assumption. But when Steve Cram set the European record... He closed in 53 seconds. If Jakob had closed in, what, like 56, he would have had it. I'm not sure what the last lap was. Somebody look it up for me. But it did make me think, I mean, throughout the history of the world, championship 1500s were not always time trials. They have been the last couple of years with him and Timothy Chariot on it. But what if Timothy Chariot gets old? Or what if Timothy Chariot just says, no, I'm not going to take the lead? Well, I think Jakob will take the lead. Look at what he did in World Indoors. He thought he just tried to front run it and he got beat, but he Thank also you. wasn't 100%. Thank you. But he, here's the fascinating thing about Ingebrigtsen. He's been in our lives since, what, 2017 now? That's really, that's when he broke for youngest person ever to do it. I still don't know if he has a good kick or not. Because when is he ever in like a real slow championship tactical race? I mean, maybe one of those Euro indoors when he got out kicked by Lewandowski, but. In terms of like the big races, they're almost always quick these days. And the thing I think they were talking about on the broadcast that he's so good at is those he's just able to keep pushing in those middle stages of the race and keep it fast. And then he's able to close. You know, he might not be able to close in 52 or 53 every time, but if you push those two middle laps, you can close in 55 or 56 and win most of the races. So... Yeah, I I don't know what it's going to be like if he's in a tactical race. I'd like to see it, but I also don't think it's going to be that way because if he thinks he's fit enough to just push it from the front, he'll just do what Chariot did in 2019. You know, no one's been able to beat him. I guess the Farah did beat him indoors, but he'll probably think, no, it's because I had COVID. So I don't see why he'd run any differently when he's winning everything in sight. My other big takeaway from this week in action is just Mohamed and Paul Chalimo, they should thank the Ethiopians for having all these silver, all these silver and bronze medals they have in the 5,000. It just reminded me how poorly the Ethiopian Federation has run. They never let these guys double or the gals double. I mean, you've got Salomon Borrega winning the 5,000 on Saturday in Paris. Why he's never allowed to double? Well, I guess the reason why he's not allowed to double is because the guy that won the 5,000 in Oslo would be taking his spot. But, you know, they have this big edict. They, they release the team. They, they don't have Sagai, I mean, yeah, in the women's 1500. They say you can't double. By the way, if you run these Diamond Leagues, we're going to kick you off the World's Championship team. Everybody runs the Diamond League anyways. So now that they've run them, I hope they reconsider the team and just pick the best people. 
Well, they did this in the 5,000. Um, I'm not sure if you saw this, Robert. DeWitt Sayum, who won the women's 5,000 in Oslo, Go ahead. she was not named to the Ethiopian team originally, which was kind of puzzling. And they said, you know, the Ethiopian Federation said in their criteria, if you compete at these meet, any meets after June 13th, you're not going to be able to run at the World Championships. But the problem is most of their team actually ran in either Oslo or Paris, so you can't just kick everyone off. And now they've also said Sayum's going to be on the team in the 5,000, which makes sense, but again, they're going against their previously published team. So it's just kind of a mess over there. And Borrega, yeah, like you said, Robert, Borrega won in Paris over the weekend, but I think they're worried about setting, like, I don't know, it'd be nice if they just have a trials. Like, they have trials in Olympic years. I don't know why they wouldn't do the same thing in non-Olympic years. That just makes everything a lot more, more simple. I don't have a problem with picking it on the best time. If they want to do that, that's fine to me. But I have a problem with them not saying you, you can't double. Particularly good off Sagai. Like, the 1500s first. Let her do that. She's a virtual lock for the silver medal. And then let her come back for the 5,000 where she could win gold. She could also not medal. I just, it bothers me when the 5,000 is like a bastard event. I like it when it has everybody in it. But it's, ever since I've been following track and field, people have just been either skipping. Uh, 96 Olympics. Haile G skips out on the 5,000 in the Olympics so he can run a world record attempt. Not this year, though, folks. Caitlin Tui fans, NCAs, everybody was in it. And 2E, 2E took it down. Oh, I like that, Robert. Did you just come up with that right now? Shh, John, don't let anyone steal that. Don't sh- don't tell anyone what I was doing. I was doing a hand signal for Tui. No, you should spread the word. That's like that's your thing. Can You're I the- pa- can I trademark it like Pat Riley? Well, it's not even a thing though. Like that, he had a T-shirt, like a three. Well, I'm gonna have a, a T-shirt Tui too. Tui is just oh, Tui. all right, e. with the symbol and two. Yeah, you would need to spell it T W O and then E. You can't spell it the same as her last name or else, yeah. No, I'm not going to spell it. It's going to be two and then an E. If anyone comes um, out with a shirt, I'm going to, I'm going to, right now I'm going to play the judge this, this transcript and sue your ass. <laughs> All right. Rojo has copyrighted it. Uh, anything else from these two diamond leagues? We did see it was pretty entertaining 800 in Paris, men's 800. Well, We've been complaining about that this That was my lot. third take. And Robert, I need you to weigh in. The win went to Benjamin Robert, who might be your new favorite runner because he has your name. And he ran 143. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of those this year. And behind him, you know, some fast times all around. Peter Boll broke his own Australian record, 144 flat. Tony Van Diepen of the Netherlands, 144-14. We had, in all... Seven men broke 145 in this, so a little return to form for the 800. And there weren't any of the none of the top Africans were in this race either, so this was promising. But the big thing was at the end of the race, Robert was in fifth coming down with 100 to go, and he splits two guys, but then he's got two more guys. He's boxed in. This does happen sometimes in races, Robert, being boxed in. He had Tony Van Diepen on his right in front of him and Gabriel Tual on his left in front of him. And he slides past two all, but then as he's trying to get by Van Diepen, runs into his arm. Clearly throws him off course a little bit. He was moving faster. If he had room to run, no doubt he wins this race. But positioning, 
is part of running the 800, and he was not in good position. So he was initially DQ'd, but then reinstated. Wait, what? Do you have a take on this? What? Yeah, you didn't hear about this, Robert Weldon? No, I watched the meet. I saw him celebrate. I didn't hear anything about a DQ. Did they say anything on the broadcast? I was... The way I saw it on Twitter, I mean, maybe... I hope this isn't fake news, but I saw people said he was DQ'd, and then he was reinstated. I think that's how it played out. Okay. I, I was... I just saw what happened, and I'm like, they better not de- DQ him. This is European racing. This isn't, like, tiddlywinks or something. Like, this should be allowed. I I don't know if the DQ was on the broadcast or not. I was watching my daughter as well as watching the meet, but thank God he was allowed to stand. He won the race. Did anyone fall down? Did anyone fall down? Was anyone really impeded? No. We need more of that. We need more of that. Van Diepen was, like, Van Diepen, I don't think would have beaten him, but he had to, like, bump him. I I don't know if it raises to the level of a DQ, but he had to throw him off of his rhythm and interfere with his race in order to pass him. That, to me, there is a grounds for a DQ there. I'm not sure if I would have called it, but certainly can make the case. Robert, how do you see this thing? Well, first of all, John, don't tell my wife, but I have a new crush. I mean, I was poolside in California at this wedding, you know, and I'm like, do I want to risk being caught doing it? I said, yes, I do. And I secretly watched the Diamond League 800 final, and I see Robert win it. With, and I, th- I immediately thought they better not DQ him for that. Then I thought, okay, he's French. They're not going to DQ him. But I think at Worlds, he might have been DQ'd. And yeah, if you want the official to, call, to change the outcome, you DQ him because he didn't have room to pass there. But I'm, I loved it. I loved it. And if I had set up my little noisemaker over here, which I didn't do, John, I'd play a clip for you. Actually, I found it. The clip I wanted, folks. Very famous movie clip. Conversation between Cole Trickle and Harry Hogue in Days of Thunder. Cole, you're wandering all over the track. Yeah, well, the son of a bitch just slammed into me. No, he didn't slam into you. He didn't bump you. He didn't nudge you. He rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. There you have it, folks. Rubbing is racing. Rubbing is racing. Mr. Robert... We love you. With Donovan Brazier. God, if I had the breaking news sound, I'd play that right now, folks. John called me up this morning. He said, I've got something to tell you. And it's like every parent's worst nightmare. When someone says they got something to tell you, it's normally not good. Yeah, Robert. It was about Donovan Brazier because, you know, it's USA's week. So I was putting in the calls to some coaches. And one of the calls was to Pete Julian because... Donovan Brazier has not raced since Doha. And at the time, he did. there was not a good race for him. He was sixth place in 150. I mean, it was a slow race. But at the time, I was like, he doesn't look right. You know, that's not the Donovan Brazier I'm used to seeing. Something's off. And Pete confirmed that, yes, something is off. He has bursitis in his right foot near his heel. He has had to take some time off. He's been cross-training, but... I asked Pete, you know, is he back to full training yet? He said, not close. So that's a bit worrying. Worlds are only four weeks away. And USA's are this weekend. 
So normally that would be a huge problem. But fortunately for Donovan Brazier, he is the defending world champion. He has a bye to the world championships. All he has to do is run one round. He could jog one round at USA's and he would still be on the team. So he will be running there. But talking to Pete, they said, you know, they're going to be careful with him. His doctors have cleared him to run, but they're going to evaluate it after the prelims. My sense on it, and if I was Pete Julian, I wouldn't risk running him extra two rounds. I would run him in the prelim, get him on the team, but your focus, it's not about the U.S. championships. It's about the world championships and getting as healthy as possible for that race. And that's still up in the air as well. Pete admitted, you know, he's not sure how quickly they're going to be able to come along. He is a huge talent. We've seen Donovan do some special things off of limited training in the past, but I do think there may be a sense of worrying, well, hey, last year we tried to make it happen when he wasn't 100% at the Olympic trials, and Donovan, you know, he's a racer. He wants to be out there competing, but he ended up breaking his foot and then missed the rest of the season, and I do wonder if they get close to world championships and they think he's pretty hurt still, do you do you still run it and do the potential for more damage, or do you just back off and pull out? So essentially, he will be running USA's, but I'd be surprised if he runs more than one round. We should have led the podcast with this. This is a professional running podcast. We led with high school news and banter, but he had to run the trials last year. John, it's the Olympics. There's a lot of great runners who never made an Olympic team. You got to give it a go. He made the final, then came up short in the final. Didn't make any excuses to afterwards, and he had a what a stress fracture, hairline fracture in a foot, whatever it was. But for this one, USA's, he's got the buy. You take full advantage of it in my book. Unless somehow he's fit enough to train and they think, oh, actually racing will be the best training on that day. But I don't know why running, I think there's three rounds of 800, right? At USA's? Three rounds in four days. It's tough. That doesn't seem to be the best to me. So if I'm him, I somehow try to get ready for Worlds. I mean, this isn't good, but... We're talking about the Robert guy. The good thing for anyone 800 this year is it's so weak. Three guys have ridden one sub 144 this year in the 143s. And I'm like, oh, 143 is fast. It's very rare. It's actually not. The last, at the last year's, before last year's Olympics and before the 2019 Worlds, we had 13 guys run 143. I mean, 143 is pretty common if you're a top. And a runner. So we had 13 guys before the Olympics run those times. This year we have three. So if somehow Donovan has any fitness for him, there's a chance. But now I'm I'm depressed. I don't think it's going to happen, obviously. All right, let's go even more negative. Is this injury related to his injury last year? I don't think so, because it's in the other foot. So I... I don't think they're related. Okay, that's John, good. It's a human, no, it's a human kinetic chain. Of course it's related. It's even worse. It's the other foot. He's compensating. Okay, Dr. Science. I mean, no, this is it's a bummer, though, because Donovan Brazier, he's such a great athlete to watch. When he's on his game, there's no one... You know, he's just one of the biggest talents who's ever come out of this country in the middle distance. He's the first American ever to win the 800 at a World Championships. And... 
you know, he's had those injury struggles. I remember talking to him at Milrose, and he was like, ever since basically the middle of 2020, he hadn't been running the same. He'd, he'd been sort of gunning it through, not at 100%. And finally, he runs the 600 Milrose, and he feels, or sorry, it's the 400 Milrose, and he just was, he had a smile on his face. He was like, yeah, I'm starting to feel back like my old self. You know, they're getting in this training. He made the world team in the 400 indoors. I was like, this is going to be great. He's going to come out outdoors. We'll see 2019 Donovan Brazier again. And then to see him dealing with another injury, it's, it's just re- it's really a bummer. I think he can get through it, but turning her things around with four weeks to go until Worlds, I'm not optimistic. Well, at least we know the information. Donovan, your agent, your mom, your dad, whoever's listening. From now on, please let us know if you're injured because you say it's, it's a treat to watch him run. It is when he's running well. But I've had two of the most upsetting experiences as a fan. I know I'm not supposed to be as a fan as a journalist, but I am watching him run, watching him flame out of the 2016 trials when he was a college freshman and won 143.55 and then gone pro. I was like, Oh my God, first round, 148. I just couldn't believe it. And then in the finals of the Olympic trials last year when he just starts getting passed by everybody, couldn't believe that either because we didn't know he was hurt at the time. So I'm glad that we've known there's no weakness in in letting that be known. But I don't know. There are the armchair critics. It's always, right? I remember some people indoors are like, why is he running the four? That's going to put more stress on your lower legs. Indoors. So we complain when, when athletes blow off the indoor season, and then we complain when they do do the indoor season. But it does remind me when a Let's Run supporting class member, this guy's a genius. He's purchased 20 of the 159.40 asterisk shirts, the black ones. He wears them to work every day. He's like a orthopedic surgeon. But he sent me a, a text, I think it was. What? Hold on a second. Does he not have a washing machine? Why would you need 20? Hey, like, this man is paying my salary here well then, so let's not complain about it. If you want to buy 20, if you want to buy 100 Let's Run t-shirts, I strongly encourage you to do so. This guy probably paid less for the 20 shirts than John and his dad paid for the U.S. Open tickets. It's up in the bucket if you're a medical doctor. He's a doctor. He likes. To, he said he's going to give some as a gift, and then he says it's a very unique thing. They're, they're super soft, super comfortable. He's wearing them underneath his scrubs, but he says when people do see them, they ask him about it, so it kind of makes him feel different. Anyways, he sent me a picture, and he had seen Brazier in the offseason, and just the, it made me nervous, like the way he described the injury. Like it was pretty serious. Like he's got an inch screw in his fibula still today. So I was like, wow. I just thought I'm the type, like you can do anything. Like you can have your knee chopped off and put back on, and now modern science, you're back. But – Every once in a while, you see some athlete, and they're just never the same. All right, enough past talk. Let's look forward. Let's get excited for USA's. Briefly go through these events, John. I guess we're talking at 800. Let's start with the men. We'll go 815 steeple five. Oh, wait. Before we get there, folks, I have an incredible premonition. We're going to start with the eight because I have a really good feeling. There's no even time to waste time on this. I'm willing to bet a lot of money, all the money that I have. You guys are going to think this is crazy, but I, I just, I feel like Joe Klecko is going to outkick Grant Fisher in that 10,000, the 2022 USA's. 
I think that's your team one, too. I forget who gets third. John, do you have a feeling for third? Uh, oh, man. I feel like I had a good feeling about Emmanuel Ball, but I have an even better feeling about Sean McGordy. So I'm going to say McGordy, after trying to make it in the steeplechase last year, he's the third member of the team in the 10,000. Secret, folks. If you don't know what we're talking about, they had the 10,000 a few weeks ago, and that's what happened. True, true story, though. I forgot about Sean McGordy already. But... <laughs> I <laughs> know, no. When you asked me to fill in the blanks there, it's not because you want to hear my voice. It's because you need to know the answer. John, I thought we'd be like a good political couple. Like, you know, I go to the events and I'd be the friendly guy. And you, I'm going to need you in the back room, though, with an earpiece saying, like, you're talking to Walton Johnson. Oh, you need me to be like your bag man or whatever. Or what is, I've, yeah, whoever that person is. Uh, okay. 800 meters. All right. I was working on the preview for this event today. I couldn't believe this. No American has broken 145 for 800 this year. Kind of surprised. We're talking about not many people have done it in the world have broken 144. No American under 145. Bryce Hopple's your US leader, 145.07. The way I see it, now what normally happens is if you run 144 in the US final, you're almost always on the team. So I'm going into this event, I'm thinking who can run 144 after three rounds? in the final on Sunday. And I, I think Bryce Hopple absolutely can do it. He won the USATF NYC Grand Prix. He was the US Indoor Champion. He medaled in this event at World Indoors. I think he's your winner. I think he's at the very least on the team. I feel pretty good about Clayton Murphy. He hasn't done anything crazy, but he had that 145 win in Puerto Rico. He just makes teams. I didn't pick him to make the team last year, and he made me look like an absolute idiot. So he hasn't... The only team he missed... He made 2015, he made 2016, he made 2019, he made 2021. He missed 2017 when he tried to do the 815 double and got hurt. So I think he's on the team. And then you've got a bunch of... You know, a few other guys who've run 145 this year. Isaiah Harris, who tore his hamstring at World Indoors, and he's coming back. He just ran 145 at the Portland Track Festival. Isaiah Jewett ran 143 last year. He finally had a good race at the New York City meet. And Eric Sawinski, 32 years old, pacemaker extraordinaire. He's the fourth fastest American in the field in the country this year. The third fastest is Derek Holdsworth, who started out at JUCO, then he went to Western Oregon, and now he's dropped over a full second off his PB this year to run 145.37. He's your number three seed. You've got Brandon Miller for Texas A&M. So I think there's a bunch of guys who could make it. I'm leaning towards Harris because he always runs pretty well at USA's, but do you guys have any strong takes on this one? John, it's just weak. No offense to Derek Holdsworth, who I'd never heard about until I was filling out the prediction contest and putting in the top people. He's your third seed. Brandon Miller, who was only third at NCAAs, isn't running as well this year as he was last year, is the second fastest guy in America. So you're thinking, oh, Brandon Miller, he sort of bombs at SECs. Where else did he have a poor race? He had a couple of poor races middle mid-season. Yeah, Tom Jones earlier in the year, he lost by about four seconds when Moed Zahafi ran 143. And turns out he had the runner, right, at some point? He was, he was sick at... Uh, at SECs. He may have had the Rona because he is a thing Mo's boyfriend and she had it earlier this spring. So I don't know if he had it or not, but that would have been an opportunity to catch it. So, so 
maybe I should be very bullish on him. And Clayton Murphy looked great in Puerto Rico, 145. Well, he's was getting beat pretty soundly, what, last week in New York City by Hopple? So, I mean, the pedigree, right, is Hopple, Murphy, Brazier. Those are your three best guys. Jewett did it last year, but hasn't been running that well this year. But he, he's coming on 145.8, but until NCAAs last year, nobody was expecting that guy to go on to make the Olympic team. But it's just, this, this thing is wide open. I mean, Eric Sawinski, seriously? Like, he's got a shot. The Eric Sawinski thing is fascinating to me. He's like the Devin Allen of the hurdles. Like Devin Allen, I mean, the 800. Devin Allen does better at the hurdles when he's playing football on the side. This guy does better at the 800 when he's not trying to run the 800 and just rabbiting in Europe. The fact that he's ahead of Clayton Murphy this year, Clayton Murphy should be ashamed of that. But I look, I'm only confident in Hopple. He's going to make the team. I would love to see um, Isaiah Harris make it after him representing the country, getting hurt, had a big seasonal best in that last race. But I don't know, man. Murphy last year to watch him run that 143. Remember how quickly that turned around for him last year, John? Wasn't like he was tearing it up before the trial. Someone look up the stats that he wants 143. I'm like, he's going to win the gold. And he hasn't found that. Now, the fact that he was celebrating so big in Puerto Rico was still bothering me. I'm like, this wasn't that fast of a race. I would love to know if the training has been so bad that if he was shocked by that performance. But Jewett, to me, I know at Randall's Island, he got walked down. He only ended up sixth to that race. But how he went out that boldly, I can see him doing that again. This guy's kind of crazy. Go for broke. Hang on, and he gets – he gets. did he do that last year at the trials? I know he did it somewhere in a crazy race, and it just worked out for him. Yeah, he did it at the Olympic trials, and if you watch the New York City meet, he also took the lead there, and he held it for quite a long time. And I would say he seems to be trending upwards, and I would say you know, another couple of weeks, if he can hold it a little longer at USA's, he could absolutely make this team. So he, he's definitely in the conversation there. Okay, do we need to make predictions or can we hold those for like a later date? I'm going to be making predictions in the women's because I've done all my previews on that, but I'm not really ready to do that for the men. I don't think we need to make a predictions for every single event or this is going to be a very long podcast. So if you have any scorching hot takes you want to drop or anything you want to get on the record so you can take victory laps next week, say it. Okay, I'll say it now then. Last year, I looked up the stats. Who needs John anymore? He doesn't help me out anymore. Prior to the Olympic trials, here's Dot, here is Clayton Murphy, one forty eight four for fifth indoors, one forty five three. Okay, that's decent for third at Mount Sac. Then his his last race before the Olympic trials, one forty seven twenty nine at Randall's Island. That's way worse than what he ran this year. He goes to the trials about four weeks later and runs. 143.17. That's 143 low. He is good at training through stuff. The more I think about that, he's going to be on your team as well. So well, I, yeah, I, I, think, pretty- I think I'm going to I think I'm going to roll it back from last year. Through the same three guys could be doesn't often happen that way, but no, I I feel pretty good about Murphy just because yeah I know sometimes he'll train through things. 
He has the long game in mind. And he's also just a smart racer. You know, he he's not going to be scared of the championship stage. He'll embrace it. He knows how to get through the rounds. He has the strength to still run a fast race in the final. Like, there's a lot to like about Clayton Murphy, and I think there's a lot more certainty in him. You know, he he's won this race three times. He just consistently delivers at the U.S. Championship, so I, I feel pretty good about his chances. Yeah, I think we all sort of agree, right? Hopple we like. Murphy we all pretty much like. And then it's Harris, Jewett, or Miller, I think, for that next spot. Eric Swinsky ain't making the team. Maybe, I don't know. No, he... Derek, Hol- Derek Holdsworth, I hate to ruin the party, but unless he's the... Uh... Could be the Boris Berrien of 2022. I, I actually no, think... about to... Like, I look at him compared to, like, Brandon Kidder, and I guess Kidder was running pretty well at the end of last year, but, like, I look at him in, against Brandon Kidder or Eric Sawinski... Like, I kind of feel like we know what Sawinski and Kidder are at this point. I don't know. Derek Holdsworth could be anything. I don't know anything about his training situation. Like, I feel like if someone's going to make a breakthrough and make the team, it's going to be him. Right. I bet say unless he's a Drew Wendell or Nick Simmons or something like that, and he's going to have this run. And, I mean, we've seen that in the 800, right? I mean, Drew Wendell had his burst, his little moment at the sun. I don't know if he's the Icarus or what. He got the world indoor silver yep. don't tell and then he wore the sun sunglasses that the diamond league meet outside on top of his head it's never been the same since i think that was it john <laughs> i love you just remember that I, one detail and that's all because I, I was a big drew window fan and i saw that and i'm like oh whatever people kind of rats on him a bit and i swear he hasn't run well since i mean i see him running 147 148 and i'm like how this guy used to blitz 145s indoors I just don't get it, but it just shows Michael Granville, whatever. Nothing's guaranteed in the sport or in life for that matter. Enjoy it when you can. I mean, to be able to compete with the best in America, I mean, Drew Wendell was what, like D2 star? Yep, Ashland University. And just to like get up there, make the world's team, I hope you enjoyed it, you know? Yeah, we're going to have a lot of this on this podcast. When I was doing my women's previews, written previews, like these people who I would consider the modern-day equivalent of Weldon Johnson, they weren't that good in college. They couldn't even make the NCAA meet, or maybe they finally made the NCAA meet in their fifth year. And then now they're running like world-class times or borderline world-class times. They don't end up making the team. They end up finishing fourth like Weldon. You just see it time and time again. Like this, I'm looking up Holdsworth. It wasn't like he was – unknown he ran 147 in 2006 2017 2018 2019 he ran 148 2020 147 all of a sudden he's running two seconds faster this year 145 he ran 146 last year but like on a great day he runs 145 on these guys off days they kind of run 145 you see that in some of these women like we'll see we'll talk about similar things in the women's steeplechase all right that's enough for the eight. The 1500, this may be my event. I mean, I'm just so excited. You've got the guy that I said would make the Olympic team last year, Yeru Deguse. Misses out in NCAs. Everybody loves the story. Down and out. Comes back, runs 334.98. 
but misses out on the Olympics. So. Well, he got hurt at the Olympics, but the guy that I guarantee that he would make the Olympic team, and he did. He's in the mix here. You've got Cole Hawker, Olympic finalist, sixth last year, and Cooper Tier, who has never lost to Cole Hawker, has well had never lost to Cole Hawker and a fifteen hundred until their last race at the Pre Classic. He's in this one. Plus, we have some people that Jonathan Galt has beaten in, in races before. John, how do you see this one coming down? I think it's interesting because about a month ago, I was like, God, this is a lousy event. You know, I'm not very excited for it. What? Here in Hawker were the only guys who are running well. Nagoose was hot. Centro, Matthew Centrowitz, we didn't mention him, the Olympic champion from 2016. He had knee surgery. He's done for the year. Craig Engels isn't going to be here. It's going to look a little different. Well, but but then- John, why would that be a lousy event? To me, you could have Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker and the rest of the event could be high schoolers, and it would still be interesting to me. I, I feel like sometimes you're worried about the overall quality of the event. All we need to meet is rivalries, training partners, the f- pure 15 guy versus the 515. To see them race is mesmerizing to me, although I must confess at pre-classic, I forgot they were even there in the race because I was so focused on Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Yeah. Okay, All right. fair enough. I would have definitely been hyped for a Hawker versus Tia showdown with a national title on the line. But now I think the event's a lot better because we had a bunch of guys run fast at the Portland Track Festival. We had Nagoose hit 334. He looks like he's back in terrific shape and he got the world standard as well. Vincent Ciardi's run 337, I think, 335. Uh, I don't think it was a and Track Festival, but he's number three seed. Gregoric ran 335. Paul Ryan ran 335. Josh Thompson ran 336. You know, Hobbs Kessler, he ran 336 earlier this year. You know, we suddenly have a bunch of guys who are kind of in the mix. And what I'm very interested to see in this race, I feel I feel good about Cole Hawker's chances of making this in any style of race. I think he will win. I think he's the best 1500 runner in America. What I'm curious about, Kupatia, is he a miler? And it's it's a weird question to ask when you enter as the U.S. leader, but we've seen guys run fast 1500s, but championships can be different. And so I'm curious, what's his kick going to be like? And also, how do they play this? Do they try to make it fast and just trust in the fitness that they're fitter than everyone else? Or do they say, no, I, I can kick if I need to, and I'm going to let it go slow? Robert, if you're Ben Thomas who coaches Cole Hawker and Kupatia, how are you telling them to play this final? If I'm not being cold-blooded, well, even if I'm not being cold-blooded, if I was coaching them, it's simple. We want the winning time to be under 337 for sure. Make it fairly honest. Get to the front. So maybe what I'd do is have... The thing is, though, Cole Hawker doesn't really owe anything. And we saw this one year famously at the, at the Olympic trials when the Bowerman Track Club guys were there and Tegan Camp and Selinski were supposed to alternate the pace. And Tegan Hamp wasn't feeling good or something. He did not alternate the pace. He sat in the back, never took the lead, and made the Olympic team. And Selinski was hot about it pretty much initially afterwards. But I'm trying to think how I, who I would make do the hard The hard part is the third lap. Well, I guess I would say I might make 
Hawker take it for 600 and then tell Tier Tier if you want it honest, you go from there. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it because he's the one who would probably benefit more. Again, me, you know, we haven't really seen him in these fast mile situations. So, who knows what his closing speed is, but there are a bunch of kickers in this race behind him. You know, Josh Thompson, he can kick. Johnny Gregoric, he can kick. We know Hawker can kick. We know Nagus can kick. So, you know, I think it benefits Cooper to have a faster race. And we've seen him solo stuff. Remember when he ran 334, the U.S. leader? This came in a rainstorm in Eugene. He was the only real guy in that race. He did it pretty much solo and ran 334.8. That, to me, tells me he can run a second or two faster than that. I wouldn't be shocked if he just goes out and tries to drop people, but that also has the you got to be really fit to do that. And I think we just saw these guys all run 335. There could be two or three guys who can hang with him and, and outkick him. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm very interested to see how they play this race and how it all unfolds. Guys, like 335 isn't that good. Are we just running geeks and you're getting excited about sort of like mediocre performances? I mean, you're talking about Paul Ryan, the guy who sat on a high school at a race this year and did outkick him pretty well the last lap. But like, that's a guy we're thinking like, oh, wow, like he's guy who's going to be Cooper Tier. I just want to see, I mean, last year I feel like Cole Hawker took this thing to another level. I feel like Nagus has shown possibly he can take it to another level. Guys in the U.S. running 334, it just it just doesn't get me excited. Uh, I don't know. I'm ex- I like this event. I think there's a lot of potential with with Cooper and Cole and crew. But uh, it's cool perspective, just... Weldon. Look, Cole Hawker is the only guy here with a shot at meddling this year, and I don't know how good a shot it is because you're probably going to be able to have to run, you know, sub 330 to do it. But you know, do, do I get mad when the top high schoolers aren't as good as the top college guys? No. Do I get mad when the top college guys aren't good as the top pros? No. you got to take it for what it is. I think as a national championship, as a domestic race, it's pretty exciting. Are some of these guys, is whoever going to make the team guaranteed to be competitive at Worlds? No, not necessarily. But in terms of, like, making the team, there's prestige in doing that. I'm ex- There's spots on the World Championship at home online. I'm excited about the race. Well, I think you're wrong about the... Uh... I was going to say, I think Tier can medal. It's a 350-miler. There's a time trial. Some people blow up. It's possible. Look, these guys are pretty damn good. That's why I'm excited about it. And I'm ex- I'm, I'm excited to see them battle out for the team. 350 miles or 333? I agree with Wells in the sense of 335 is not that fast. Like, look, are we worried? John doesn't even seem to be worried that Jakob Ingebrigtsen might lose a 1,500. He's a 328 guy. These other guys are like 330. And no one's really worried that they're going to lose to them. So why should we be worried that Cooper Tier is going to lose to a Jared Nagus or, or, or you know, a Johnny Gagoric? Those guys are running 335 flat, basically. Tier's showing he can consistently run 350 in the mile. Well, what did he run at pre? Someone's going to tell, John's going to tell me it wasn't he ran that ran 351.7 at okay, pre. Okay, that's three. Well, that's... Take it back. That's three thirty four seven PB. Right? I mean, that's but his PB converts to three thirty three flat. Okay, yeah, he ran his PB in like a 
I mean, his PB is slower than Johnny Gregoric's PB. If you put anyone in a record attempt geared solely towards running as fast as possible, you are going to get... If you're in good shape, you are going to get a fast PB. I don't know. I don't... I think Kubatier is in great position, but I don't view him as just, like, way, way fitter than these other guys who all just ran 335 in Portland. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. Maybe he is. But that's what we're going to see in this race. Yet again, breaking news, folks. Jonathan Galt is not good at PR. I forgot about this. We, we, we should have led the podcast with this news that we found out today. Folks, yet again, God, I can't believe I didn't leave with this. We have found out that USATF has published incorrect information on their website about how they're going to be selecting the team. On their website, they mentioned nothing about going by world ranking, but we have confirmed that they will honor the world ranking. So some of these people, like Ciotti's like .07 off, but these guys will get in on the world ranking, I believe. So, Jonathan Gault, can you confirm that you have confirmed that this is true? Yes, I talked to Rose Monday from USATF, and she said, if you are in position to get a world rankings bid, or get an invitation to the world championships from world athletics based on your world ranking, then USATF will consider that as having the standard and you'll get picked on the team, which is how they did it for the Olympics last year. It's how they should do it because that's how, like the whole point of World Athletics setting these qualifying marks, they weren't doing it so that every single person comes from the standard. They were doing it so that you get a distribution, some by standard, some by world ranking. So yes, it's common sense. It would be nice if it was written that way in the uh, selection procedures because that's how it was written for the Olympic trials last year, but... It's not spelled out. It's not clear at all in the selection procedures for Worlds this year. But yes, we, I don't think we have to worry about it. If you're in position to get a bid, you will be on the team. And that is the case for some guys like CRD in this event. And guys, I don't want to like poo-poo this event too much because, I mean, tier, like there's strategy in the 1500, right? Like how much... If his best strategy is to kind of go out in time trial, well, if you're just serving as a rabbit of somebody as everybody else, you better be much better than them. And this kind of brings us back to Oslo. Jakob is still a level above Ollie Hoare, so he's he's able to rabbit and not get kicked by the guy behind him. But if you try that, maybe with a Timothy Chariot, maybe it doesn't work out as well. I mean, it worked out last year, but. There is a lot of unknowns in this race. But if we're going to spend this much time in every... I mean, maybe we started with the big things that we're going to talk about first. 8, Vince, 15. This podcast is going to take forever. we got to keep the show going. I guess... All right, yeah. Let's roll on to the 5,000. No, no, John. The next event is a steeplechase. I hate how websites do that. It should go 8, 15, steeple, 5. In that order. But for the record, if you want some help, Tier and Hawker will both make that team. Okay, I'm, let's do steeplechase. I view this, there's one American who has run a lot better than everyone else this year. It's Hillary Bohr, the two-time defending champion. He's run 8.12 and 8.13. No other Americans run faster than 8.18. I feel very confident he's on the team. I think he'll probably win this race. But it gets very interesting after that because we saw two collegians. They're the number two on this, number two and three on this list. Duncan Hamilton of Montana State. 
and Paga Stokes of Georgetown both ran 8-18-88 at NCAAs. And then you've got a bunch of people in the 8-19 to 8-24 range. Brian Barraza, Travis Mahoney, Kenneth Rooks of BYU, Isaac Updike, Mason Folick last year, an Olympian, Bernard Keita, Olympic finalist last year. And then you've got at 8-27, the American record holder, the greatest steeplechaser this country has ever produced, Evan Jager, trying to make a team. He has not made any team since meddling at the 2017 World Championships. How do you guys see this playing out? Does Jager make the team? And if not, who does? No, he doesn't make the team. But I hope to God that he does. Again, I'm not supposed to root, but I root for him like I root for Bikela. I root for greatness. I've always loved the underdog, except when there's a dynasty to see the greatest. The, when I listen when I listen to that wonderful voice of Adele sing, I think, God damn it. Thank you, Lord. She was made to sing that song. When I watch Evan Jager, when I used to watch him run or jump over the steeplechase, it seemed natural. When I watch him now, he looks like painful and old. I mean, he's 33 and compiling the five years he hasn't made a team. But now, Bakili has given us flashes once every three or four years. Well, Jager ran 13-13 back in February. I mean, I don't think many guys in this field could run that fast, right? <laughs> Thank you, John. Like, I had a, so much optimism for him this year. I'm like, he can still do it. I Just that Paris run, not breaking aid, it's my favorite clip of, like, all time. Well, I say that a lot. I said that about Cara D'Amato. It's my favorite thing of all time, and excuse being a racist. So I should, I should quit being like my mom and saying everything's my favorite thing of all time. Mom, I love you. But... I was just thinking the same thing. He ran 13-13 indoors. Now, I don't think any of these guys can do that. Hillary Bohr could probably, but that's it. I mean, Hillary Bohr was ran faster in that. Yeah, meet, but I'm pretty so sure. that's so. it. And, but so he opened with the first steeple, eight thirty four, gets out kicked by a Japanese Olympian. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I've already forgotten about the next one, eight twenty seven. It's faster. He got fifth, though. I don't know who beat him. I don't really remember that race. Then he gets... Now he's 8.28 in third. I think it was raining in this race, I hope. I don't even know if it was raining this day. But it's just not really trending. And I'm like, wait, how could a guy run 13.13 or an 8.28 steeples? And I'm just starting to think it's over. My heart wants to pick him. I think I probably still will pick him, even though, like, I, I think I picked Jenny Simpson last year. I, you know, I, I the the greats. I just refuse to believe, you know, they're ever gonna they've been a staple. Evan Jager, well, when he is at USA's, when he competes there, he's been the guy in the steeple as long as I've been covering the sport. And just to think that he'll show up and not even make a team, that's you know. Jonathan of 2017 would have been like, you're crazy, you're insane. But he just had, based on his results this year in the steeplechase, it's hard to be that optimistic. I could still see him making it, but, you know, he also, he doesn't have the world championship standard, but you'll probably have to get that, you know, it's sub 822 to make the team. I'm not worried about you, but like that's five seconds faster than he's run this year. So, I don't know. I think I'm probably just going to pick him just with the heart, but 
on paper, he probably isn't making this team. I, I feel pretty good about Duncan Hamilton, how well he ran at NCAAs. I am, I'm a little worried. The collegians, you never know how they're going to continue with the long season, but he looked strong and recovered well in both rounds at NCAAs. He was the top American in that race. I think he's got a decent shot, but there, you know, there are a whole bunch of guys. I think it's going to be very competitive after Boer for the second and third top spots on the team. We didn't even mention Dan Mahalski, fourth place at the Olympic trials last year. Let's run.com podcast listener. He's going to be in the mix as well. Yeah, it's, it should be a good race. Screw that. We should just pick Dan, right? Because he listens to the podcast. I mean, we're recording this podcast late at night. Usually we don't do this. I think we're letting it slip, the ob- ob- objectivity. By the end of the thing, we're just going to be total homers, rooting for everybody we want to. Okay, men's 5,000 meters. The way I see this one, the two big questions are, can Grant Fisher win his first USA title? Heavy, heavy favorite, the 10K and blew it. And does Paul Chilimo have a chance? What's up with Paul Chilimo? The two-time Olympic gold medalist, ooh, gold medalist, Olympic medalist, America's standard bearer in this event for the last six years. He's done nothing this year. I mean, his best performance is a 341-1500. But posted on his YouTube channel, What's the workout? It's insane. 16 by 400, one minute recovery in 58 seconds at 6,000 feet in Colorado Springs. I saw that. I'm like, I didn't watch the whole thing because it was like 22 minutes long. I assume that's what he averaged. If he does that, he's making the team, like no doubt, you know, especially with what he's done in the past, even though his results this year have been terrible. God damn it. This is why we need an intern. If he actually did 16 by 400 at 58 seconds with the minute rest, we should just bow down to him. The American record is his. I told this workout to John Kellogg. I did not tell him it was down in Colorado Springs, which is 6,000 feet of altitude. He's like, that workout, he went to the chart. He's like, between 12, he, he said something 1240, 1230. So. Very, very fast for 5,000 meters. Tw- 12, see if I can get his attention. 12.30? So this means this is the for 5K. You mean this is the best workout ever done in the history of running? And let he didn't know it was at altitude. Let, let me interrupt him. I think he's watching like YouTube or TV. Is or he here? It's, it's after hours here. He's not working right now. Let me see if I can get him to come over here. We need a coaching segment. I'll, I'll play the coaching music. Let's do it. John Kellogg, it's an honor. It's an honor. If you guys don't know who John Kellogg is, he's a coaching genius. He said, without John Kellogg, there's no let's run.com. Coach me from being a hack. Number two guy in my high school, the number four in the country. We did summer training like 20 years ago. Next thing you know, this kid I'm coaching via John's running equivalent of four minute mile. You can still be coached by John this summer. Let's run.com slash coaching. Go there now. But John, that's not why you're here. Okay, this workout Paul Chuimo did. John, what is it again? John DeGault? 16 by 400 at 58 seconds. One minute rest between reps. 
at 6,000 feet of elevation. See, I didn't tell John I was at 6,000 feet of altitude. That was the part well, that that's was what, That's why I want to go. John's like a computer. And Robert just told us that, John, you said this workout's equivalent to a 1230-something or 1245K. So this is the problem. Last time I checked, one guy's run 1230 f- close to 5K. This is the greatest workout of the history of workouts ever? You didn't even know it was at altitude. Like, explain yourself. All right. I did the math on this. Uh, if you're in the UK, I did the maths on this. It is, uh, we used to do this thing that was 15 or 16 reps of 400 meters with 45 to 60 seconds rest. And we didn't specify it exactly. It was just, we ran it by feel and you just go again when you're ready to go and know you can keep the same rhythm, keep same, same effort. And it turns out that this was a pace that you could run for either somewhere between six and seven laps if you ran it continuously, depending on what type of runner you are, if you're more middle distance or long distance oriented, or if you're predominantly a uh, interval trained athlete versus an endurance trained athlete, you would either be somewhere closer to six laps for this if you ran it continuously, or maybe you could last it out for seven laps at this pace. And uh, that, what that means to me is that this is probably equivalent to being able to run about 60 point high to 61 mid for 5,000 meters. That's going to be in the 1240 range probably, 1240, maybe in the 1230s, probably about 1243. And I, now, I didn't know it was altitude, so my maths are a little bit affected by that. It depends on, again, what type of runner you are. If you're very well acclimated to altitude, you can probably run this. People can run intervals at altitude. And for those of you who don't know, the interval is actually the intermittent period. Interval means recovery period in terms of running. So the intervals are not the run periods. Anyway, having said that, uh, if you are an interval-trained athlete and you run this at altitude, you can probably run better for interval training than you, uh, than you would expect relative to what you would run for a continuous effort at altitude. So I'm thinking this is probably a 1240 or under workout as an indicator. Again, this is really not that much of an indicator workout, so you'd have to run longer distances for your reps or maybe do a, a, a short time trial like a seven laps or something to be more indicative of what you would do in a continuous effort but how much of a difference does it make if he's lying about this rep and taking a five minute break halfway through at once or doing a minute and a half here yeah it depends on the extent of the lie obviously so if uh maybe he ran 12 of them maybe he ran with uh a little extra rest on some, went to get some water and whatever. There's no telling. But if he did this exactly 60 seconds rest and ran them in 58, all of them, he can probably run a sub-1240 at sea level is what I would expect. But if, let's say, it was 75 seconds rest, how much slower would you be? That's going to give you a a pretty – that's going to be pretty significant, actually, uh, on running 400s because the run-to-rest period is – is so uh, uh, expanded there you're running if you're running uh, three minutes at a time and taking a minute recovery between then a minute and 15 wouldn't be so much relative to your run period but uh, if you're taking 75 seconds versus 60 and you're only running for less than 60 seconds for your work bouts then you're probably 
going to get a significant advantage by taking the, the extra rest. It'll probably give you about a half a second per lap, something like that. And this, we say 58 seconds, right? This could be 58.99, like, right? I mean, yeah, there could be a few 59 second reps, and you know, it's not like he, we don't know if he hit every single one on the nose. Yeah, does it 58? Yeah, if, he, if he's running, does it mean 58? Yeah, if he went at fifty-eight zero, then I'm, I'm just, I would say he could, he's probably in twelve forty or better shape at, at sea level. But fifty-eight high, twelve fifty-ish uh, maybe. So that's doable. So he's fifty-eight nine on everyone. Okay, yeah. Most people when they're running fifty-eight second quarters, right? That's fifty-eight five, fifty-eight six, fifty-eight four. The average is going to be fifty-eight five. Anything under fifty-nine is a fifty-eight when you're talking intervals. Plus, most people. It's like when you say you run 100 miles a week, you don't really run 100 miles a week. You ran 100 once in the summer and you say 58 miles a week. So he might have done the whole damn thing at 62, 61, run the last four or five in the 58, and then call the whole workout. Do we have video? Is the whole thing up on the internet? Can anyone tell if it's been doctored? Yeah, it's a pretty long video. I don't know if they have every single rep of the session, but. Anyways, it's cool that Paul is on Chalimo. It's also cool that John Kellogg has made his first appearance to watch on the Compact Talk podcast. If you want to reach John, email us, coaching at letsrun.com. That's our email address. We'll see you next week, John. Let's not forget this guy's best times this year are 341 for 1,500, a 2930 road 10K, and he dropped out of the pre-5,000 meters. After one mile. Maybe he's a workout hero then. Well, I mean, he's a two-time Olympic medalist. We know he can make it, well, <laughs> make it happen this, on the big this stage. This year, he's but. a workout hero. Then, so uh, yeah, 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 possible. Uh, so, so Robin and Weldon about you know this race. Like, who else? Who else do we see contending here? Like, I think I Fisher was done. John, we appreciate your knowledge. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the rest of the. The race here, though, we've got Grant Fisher. I think he's good. I mean, is Fisher the? Fa- I think Fisher's the favorite, given we haven't seen Chalimo do anything real in a race this year. We know Fisher was, you know, got beaten the 10K, but he still had a very good season. Woody Kincaid dropped out of the 10K, had this, you know, cramp or whatever, stomach, some sort of, you know, big problem. But we know he can kick. He actually had the fastest lap, lost lap in this race last year. He was just a little bit further back. And then you've got Cooper and Cole Hawker doubling back from the 1500. That's interesting. You got McGordy coming in here. You got Lopez Lemong. He's getting up there, but yeah, we know he can kick if he's in shape. And we got Nico Young and Abdelhamid Noor, the two collegians. So I think this is going to be, I might be more interested in this race than the 1500. I think I'm going to take Fisher. But I could totally see Chlimo winning it. I could see Kincaid outkicking both of them. I could see Cole Hawker, if they let it go slow, him hanging around and beating some guys. Uh, you know, what do you guys, how do you see this playing out? Well, I don't see Cole Hawker running unless he doesn't make the team in the 1500. Same thing with Cooper Tier. I think. I'm not so sure about that. What? Cole Hawker ran, he came back and ran the 5K for fun in NCAAs last year. After winning the 1500. And that was the same day. I could totally see him doubling back and say, hey, might as well. I got nothing to lose. You're playing, well, you're a gambler. We're playing with house money. Why not? And I just looked up the schedule. The 5,000 comes 
after the 1500 at Worlds. Worlds, the 1500 is completely done before the 5000 because they're making the double. Thank you, you World Athletics. They're going to make sure that double is possible this year for Mr. Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Yeah. So, look, I hope one thing here. I want to see Fisher, and I want to see him run angry. I want to see him destroy everybody. If he doesn't win this race, I think the whole idea of, oh, someone's a winner or not, blah, 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 I'm going to start questioning it. But I just feel like if someone's in shape, they should win. He he should he 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 should not have lost the ten thousand. He shouldn't lose this race. That workout with Chalimo, I can't imagine you'd go on YouTube with his experience unless he was ready to go. So then I'm like, okay, he's on the team, and I've got faith in Cooper Tier. Yes, Tier was fourth last year, but then ha- do 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 I not have faith in Woody Kincaid? I have I have faith in Woody Kincaid because. When I was talking to some of those BTC guys, if Woody was in shape, they said, well, if he hadn't gotten that cramp, he would have won this 10000 just a few weeks ago. So there's, it's the same as last year, four spots for three guys. Excuse me, three spots for four guys. Yeah, I I kind of see it the same way. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested to see if Cole Hawkins in this race, how he does. But... Yeah, I think it's the I think it's the same three guys on the team. Uh, Cole Hawker, I do think. Sorry, Kubatier, I do think is better than he was last year. But Lee Kincaid, Graf Fisher, and Paul Chalima are all really, really good. They're all world class runners. So someone very good is not making this team, and that's why I'm so excited about this. All right, anything else, or should we move to the women's events, or should we move to events where people actually? actually really are good the sprints i mean sort of grading on a curve here i guess paul tulimo does have olympic medals but yeah let's hit the men's sprints real quick uh we'll try you know we don't want to have this podcast go on for three hours but there is a lot it's the u.s championships there's a lot to talk about men's hundred one of the highlights of the meet christian coleman's on the team trayvon brumel fred curley mckay williams is your u.s leader at 986 but he bombed it at ncaa's so what's he going to do I think that's those four are probably your team in some order. But seeing the order, I, I think Bromel probably should be the favorite, but Coleman looked better last, you know, when he raced in New York. Any thoughts on this race, guys? I think Williams is going to rebound and make the team. By the way, though, men's 5,000. I forgot about Boer, right? 13 flat this year. So close to making the 10,000 team. I don't see how he does it. I just don't think he has a kick. I don't either, but it would be a cool story if he did make it. But, well, Coleman's no, Coleman doesn't have the bye, right? Or does he? No, Coleman he has the bye as defending world champion. So Yeah, so Coleman, Bromel, Mikai Williams, and who else? Curly. I think that's, I think that's team. your team. Well, will Coleman even run it? I hadn't thought about that for the prediction contest. I sort of forgot that you could, because he got the drug suspension, that you could be world champion, get a drug suspension, whereabouts to be accurate. I think he needs to run it. He needs more races. He, he says, I'm, I missed a lot of time I'm behind. He looked better in New York. It's not like you're hiding anything. A time is a time. He, like If I was him, I would run these races. 100%. 100%. Assuming the weather's a, good. I mean, the nice thing is if it's shitty weather or something. Yeah. No, if yeah. I was him, it looks like it's actually going to be very hot this weekend. So this, the 100 finals on Friday night. But yeah, I think he needs to get the walk in. So I would... Definitely run it if I were him. And he's entered in the 200 as well. 
So curious. Maybe he doesn't need to run the 200, but we'll see. Moving to that one, though, that's going to be one of the head-to-head showdowns of the entire meet. Arian Knighton, the world leader, 1949, the teenage wonderkind against reigning world champion Noah Lyles. You've also got Fred Curley, who has run 19.8 this year. He's in there. Coleman, Kenny Bednarik, the Olympic silver medalist. Matthew Bowling, who's run 19.92 this year. I'm still going with Knighton, but we haven't really seen much since he, he ran that 19.49. And since then, he ran 10.14 at what was that meet that he pre ran the 100 at? Was it? Oh, the pre classic. Yeah. He, that's that's the only race he's run since the 1949. So I'm banking on his talent, but we don't totally know. Whereas Noah Lyles, he just ran 19.6 two weeks ago. So we know he's ready to go. I mean, it's crazy that this kid is 18. He's, what, a year younger than Cade Flat? Okay, Holy crap, when you put it like that. Okay, John, you got something there on me. He's 18, and he's run 19.49. I'm a huge Noel Lyles fan. I thought Noel Lyles might never lose it. Like, he might go 10 years and never lose a 200. Well, I think Noel Lyles still has only lost, like, one Diamond League 200 ever. Maybe two. But he didn't win the Olympics. If he has run 19.61... But I have a few question marks about Knighton. I just don't know if he can deliver that again. But at the same time, like, if somebody's going to run 19-3 or 19-2 in this race, that's the guy who's going to do it. 19-2? Someone's going to run 19-2 this weekend, Weldon? I'm just saying, John, if there's somebody going to go the other direction, I don't think it's Lyles. Oh, no, it's going to be Knighton. Yeah. Yeah. No, Lyles isn't going to drop four tenths in in two weeks. Robert, where do you stand on this? If the world record goes, it goes to Knighton. I'm excited to see this. I think Knighton's the man to beat, but I'm excited that, that Lyles is getting back. I'd like to hear more about that. Is it because he got off the antidepressants? Is he still on them? Etc. But that's enough for that one. Men's 110 hurdles is going to be great. Grant Holloway, Devin Allen, uh, the collegiate kid from Florida State. Trey Cunningham, 13 flat at NCAAs. Longer yeah, that hurt. one's going to be good. Now, the longer hurdles, I've got some question marks here. What's up with Benjamin? Same thing with Norman in the 400. One of these guys Yeah, Norman race. against Randolph Ross, the two-time NCAA champion. That could be a good one. I, Yeah, if you want – Norman, this is a race. You want to see him take control and win it. It would be nice to see a time under 44 seconds, but – yeah, I think that's that's going to do it about for the uh, for the men's events. I mean, big picture, these sprints are stacked, all of them, right? We we have an American, famously last year in Tokyo, right? We did not win a single medal on the track, gold medal. No, 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 a single gold medal. Yeah, gold medal on the track. Yeah. On the men's side, yeah. On the men's side. And when you look at it this year in paper, you're like, oh, they could win every single one. And I would say they're favored in one, two, three events. Let's see, that 100, yeah, I think so, 200. 100, 200, and 110 hurdles. Those would be the ones they're favored in. 400. 
Winton Hurdles. You picking Norman <laughs> over Gardner? Come on. Kidding me. Gardner's the favorite. Yeah, I'm picking him. Let me come on, sports books. Let me pick that one. Thank you. Stephen Gardner hasn't lost a four hundred in like three or four years. Okay, fine. It's five years. Twenty seventeen. Though he did DNF one. So do we count that DNFing during that stretch? Whatever. All right. Let's go to the women's events. Start with the eight hundred. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this. We've got the Olympic champion thing, Mo, the American record holder. She's going to make the team. We've got RJ Wilson, the world indoor champion. I feel pretty good about her chances of making the team. And Raven Rogers, the Olympic bronze medalist. She's been in good form this year. I think she's on the team. Do you guys... I Look, I think there's a world where someone like Allie Wilson, maybe Sage Herder, who's been in decent form this year, could get beat out one of them. But... I think the three we mentioned, Mo, Will, Mo Ajay, and Raven Rogers, I think they're just cut above everyone else. I think that's your team. Sage Herta, John. She's one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh this year, sixth in the U.S. One fifty nine, fifty nine. No, Nia Atkins has run faster. Ollie Wilson's run a lot faster. So on PRs or seasons best, both those Ollie Wilson's like. Second and a half faster than Sage Herta. Now maybe well, with the I rounds, Allie Wilson is one of the people who could break him up. But I, yeah, I just don't know why. Like just because, like I mean, on the club is new and is getting doing well and getting a lot of publicity. You know, coincidentally, I think right after they did the huge promotion with Let's Run dot com, it shows what happens. Other shoe companies want to get your name out there, and that's how you do it. Well. No, I, I'm saying her. I do have a method to my madness. She ran 159 solo in not great conditions for running at Penn. You yourself said Penn never has great conditions. This was a Penn Relays, cold night, and she ran pretty quick there. She was right in the... She's run some Diamond Leagues and was in the mix at Pre. She was fifth in that race, 159.59 PB. She put herself in it. Now, her most recent 800 at the... New York City Grand Prix. She was only third there. She was beaten handily by RJ and Allie Wilson. So that would be the one where you would point to and say, yeah, she's not quite on that level. But she's I, she's been running well in the 800 this year. She's been running well, but a 159 mid is not making this team. Not anywhere close. It's yeah. probably going to take a 157 to make this team. And I think there's only three women really... Well, Allie Wilson's run 158-18, but, you know... Allie Wilson's broken. I did the stats. She's broken two flat five times in her life. Raven Rogers has done it tw- over something like twenty-five times. When out when 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 uh, Aj Wilson does it next, she'll have done it fifty times. So their bad race is a good race for Allie Wilson, or their mediocre race is a good race for Allie Wilson. I, I think that's the team, the the, the big three. Um, and you know, I, at first I was like, is this the hardest team to make? And then I said, John, we're being biased. We're forgetting about the sprints. I mean, I think in the men's 200, we have eight of the 10 fastest guys in the world this year. But John's like, okay, but how many events did we go 1-3 in, in the Olympics in? I think there was like four events where we went, had two medalists maybe. Women's 400 hurdles, we actually went 1-2. Men's shot put, a couple others. But because we have like three or four of the top 10 in the world here, it's not as deep, but the top three are just as good as maybe any event in USA Dragon Field. But to me, if anyone besides the big three makes it, I think it's going to be Nia Aikens. She, Danny Mackey on that podcast said, 
hey, she would have been fourth or fifth last, third or fourth last year if she hadn't gotten hurt. I mean, she hadn't gotten tripped at the trials. And then she's run, you know, 158 this year. So her upside, her pedigree is better than Allie Wilson. Allie Wilson was a woman that, you know, wasn't making NCAAs to the end of her career. Allie Wilson, I mean, uh, Nia Akins was like contending for NCAA titles. Okay, 1,500 beaters. This one is going to be good as well. Sinclair Johnson's been on fire. She's a U.S. leader, 358-8 in her first year with Pete Julian's Union Athletics Club. She beat Ellie Puryear-St-Pierre, the reigning U.S. champion at the pre-classic. Corey McGee, 2021 Olympian, ran a PR in that race, 4-flat, 0.34. Josette Norris, really good last year, 359, third in the Diamond League final. She's only run 404 this year. She did make the World Indoor team. And then Heather McLean, who is a U.S. Indoor champion, she hasn't really done much outdoors because she had COVID. She didn't run a pre, but she did run a, you know, a very low-key tune-up meet, two flat 800 in Boston a few weeks ago. From what her coach, Mark Coogan, told me, she's back to full fitness. He thinks she'll she's ready to do some big things. And then we've got the wild card here, Carissa Schweizer. She's a U.S. 10,000-meter champion. She's entered in this race. Her camp says she's probably going to run it. And, you know, she's run four flat, 0.7. She's in really good shape at the moment. I don't know what that... Like, you know, is she going to be able to kick against these 1,500 specialists? Who knows? But I'm excited to see her try. So I think this will be a fun race. I love the wild card being in here, John. By the way, what did they say about her running this event at Worlds? You had uh, a good line, I think I it's you... probably if she makes the 5K team, because she is also entered in the 5K USAs, I think she's probably going to double. If she makes the 5K team, it's probably going to be 5 and 10, but not, it's not impossible that she would run the 1500 at Worlds. Come on, guys. Carisha Swizer, who won the 10K? Or she didn't. She won, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's going to run the 1500 at Worlds? Come on, guys. It's not going to happen. Oh, have you heard of a woman named Safan Hassan? She won the 1500 oh, at the 10K. Please. Yeah, come on. We're now Robert. comparing Carissa Swayzer to Safan Hassan. She, I, I think she could make the team. I don't think that's impossible. I don't think she would double in both events at Worlds. I think she could. I think she probably won't. I think she has no kick, but she's a good run. Was she running for 3K? She's way faster than I give her credit for. She has no kick. I don't know. I mean, compared to the 1500 runners, but I seem to remember this woman outkicking the American record holder in this event in a 3000 at Boston University back in February 2020 to set the American record in that event. So and I seem to remember her destroying Alicia Monson in the 10,000 of the last lap. Look, we just I spent 20 she- minutes talking about Cooper Tears' chances. He's a 5,000 guy dropping down. This is a woman that ran 410 in the 1500 in college. I'm excited to see her in it. And what I want to know is if she does make the team, what are the rules? Can you say I'm going to do all three unless I get a $50,000 payment from whoever's fourth? Like, can you can you say it I will sit like out? Sounds like blackmail, Robert. How is that blackmail? I'm going to take – Well, no, it's extortion. It's not It's all about how you yeah. phrase it. Just say, I'm willing to sit at home for $50,000. Would that be, I mean, I'm serious. Like, I think Grant Fisher should have paid 
his teammate $50,000 for rabbiting in that race, or at least twenty. Instead, he bought him maybe like a leather wallet. He said he bought him shoes and was probably going to give him something else. Like, I thought it was interesting John also didn't mention the name of the American record holder that Chris Weiser outkicked. Well, I feel like our podcast listenership is educated enough to know it's Shelby Houlihan, but I have no. It's not like Voldemort. I'm not afraid to say her name. There's no adjectives before Shelby's name, like other people serving suspension? Convicted. I mean, she is a convicted doper, and I've shared my thoughts on that before, but she is serving a suspension. She's currently suspended from the sport. Look, I know Sinclair Johnson beat Perrier at Perrier, but for me, Perrier, and by the way, she, she dropped Perrier because she, she's entered yeah, Perrier's gone. It's Ellie St. Pierre now. So I can't call her PSP anymore. Miss St. Pierre yeah, is following... The fa- is the favorite to me because that was her first race post COVID. She got a, she and McLean both got a bad case of COVID. It's her first race and she still runs 359. Whereas with Sinclair Johnson, that's the best race of her life. So I just have more faith in period. I think she's going to win it. And I know she did lose indoors. She was not only lose indoors, she was third. She lost to Josette Norris as well as Heather McLean, who won USA's. I think McLean's going to make it the two flat 800 that she ran. Many people didn't see that as some old comers meet where second place is 215 is plenty good. The quotes we have from Coach Coogan, John says he talked to him. I got the same exact quotes. I think he texted us. He texted, I was hoping I got him first. No, we texted him to John. Then I think he was shocked that I was actually doing journalism. I, said, I did say, hey, Mark, there's a lot of events at USA's and we only have one day to get ready. John can't write all the previews. I'm actually having to type one up. Can he send me some quotes? But he's very confident, expects them both to make the team. So that should be interesting. I mean, Norris hasn't broken 404 this year outdoors. Shannon O'Seeker ran four flat this year. She hasn't run fast either. Yeah, Robert, I think your logic is spot on with how I see it as Puria, sorry, as St. Pierre being the favorite. It's like Jenny Jenny Simpson. Remember, she was Jenny Berenger, then she was Berenger Simpson for one year. She won Worlds, and then she became Jenny Simpson. Wait, wait, wait. I just heard the name Ginny Simpson. She's not running. Are you guys going to write an article calling her out? I think that's what you guys do these days. She, we had a statement. She told NBC Sports that she's not running. She has not shared the reason why, but she has at least... They asked her, and she didn't answer it. So She was never promoted as to be running right. this meet, like Gauthang Mo was hyped and promoted to be running pre. Ginny Simpson, right. months before the event took place, said I will not be taking place. So no, we will not. But here's your picks in here. St. Pierre first, Johnson second, McLean third. I don't even know if we even mentioned the name of Corey McGee. Oh, you said she PR, so yes, we did mention it. She should be in the mix as well. But, folks, I just want to get this name out there. I, I've started a thread. Has anyone ever made the team in the t- both the 1,500 and 10,000? I certainly don't think it's ever happened in the same year. Francie LaRue-Smith, Look her up, fans. Amazing career. I think she was had some Texas ties. John Kellogg watched her run the American record in the 10,000 one year. Texas Relays. Back in the day when you didn't have to fly out west and run an American record. Made the Olympic team in high school or something like 17 in 1972. Made it again in 76. Then she ended up getting like fifth in the 10,000 Olympics. Like, like 88 or something like that. So she's done it. This is just cool that we've got this. I kind of like the 10K being early because you're letting these distance runners 
Now we're on three events, so we're getting like super USAs instead of watered-down USAs. Yeah, and speaking of that, so we'll go to the 5K. Schweiz no, is also in that. Do you not listen? We go eight. Oh, 15. yeah, sorry, steeplechase, of course. I don't know, it's just, I'm going down, this is a prediction contest. We have the 5K listed first. That's why I was going to it. But, all right, women's steeplechase, Coburn Frerichs, Courtney Waitman. I mean, I know Coburn and Frerichs haven't been at their best, but come on, there's no way that those two aren't making the team. Courtney Waitman's been what? the best no, of no, the rest. No, 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 oh, no, 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 well, no, no, no. Thank you. Let me just share some of the wonderful research I've done for my written article. I don't know if John even what? knows this type of stuff. John may have this memorized. It took me all day to figure this out. You realize Coburn and Frerichs have gone 1-2 in that order for the last five USAs? That sounds right. So I, I said that there's no way they're not making Oh, there the is, team. too. You, Courtney Frerichs opened Frerichs. at 920. Frerichs. Say it. Frerichs. Courtney Frerichs opened at 920 in pre. This is the Olympic silver medalist. Then told me she's been battling low iron and celiac disease. Then she was going to run the Portland Track Festival. She falls and runs, what, 935? Now, people were saying she was going to run what in that race? Was it 925 or was it 920? The I don't know, it was pouring that, rain. Well, it wasn't good. So if you're have, if you anemic, it's hard to run well, John. You do you are aware of that fact? I am, but from what I understand, she's things have been going a little bit better since then. And... I, I don't know. I just, she has had a few slow starts to her season before. She always gets it together. Okay. Maybe I should soften my stance. There's no, there's no way that neither of them, the, you know, the, they're not on the team. I guess there is a possibility. I'd be, very, I'd still be very surprised, especially with Coburn. You know, she just ran 404 and 1500. I think Coburn's definitely on the team. Maybe Ferrix is vulnerable. I don't see it. I think Wayman's got that third spot on lockdown after running the NCAA record, 916. And after that, I just think there's a pretty big gap. I mean, Bell Constein did run 918 last year, but and made the Olympic team. She hasn't really been running very much. I don't think I think she's had some setbacks. And then the next fastest woman is Kaylee Delay. Yale's own Kaylee Delay Weldon, NCAA runner-up at 925.08. But come on, she's not making this team. Thank you, John. Thank you for the proper introduction there. And yeah, I, I like spoke up in saying Frerichs could not make it. Who's going to beat her? No offense to Kaylee Delay. I mean, Yale, look, we just focus on the, the top prize. We had Frank Shorter. Olympic gold, Olympic silver. Would the O'Neill twins make some Olympics? Um, who am I? Oh, Kate Grace. We wait. We skipped the 800. Kate Grace, Olympic finalist in the 800, 2016. Diamond League multiple. Was she a multiple time Diamond League winner last year, John? I'm not sure if they were all Diamond League points events, but she won a couple races over in Europe. I mean, we just go for big stuff. The women, the men just rank shorter. But, I mean, this woman should run 940 in the steeple to NCAs, makes the final in time. It's the biggest rare genetic reality story of all time. 
She runs 925. She's sitting at fourth place on the list. She's the next one behind Frerichs. Do I see her beating Courtney Frerichs? No. Annie Rodenfels, she has a, like, a more credentials, 1508 5K. She's also run 925. I think if, Fre- if Frerichs slips up, there's got to be a big slip up. You know, we got Colleen Cligley way back there, but she only ran 939. She's not fit. So the way I see this, there's no concern for Emma Coburn. She's back. She ran 404. I expect Emma to be contending for the gold medal or contending for a medal at Worlds. I don't think Ferrex will be there. I think this illness will we'll know a lot more after this weekend. Cormie Weymouth is a nice addition to the top three. That's what's going to happen here. That's what I picked, and I've written in the preview. I do think... Well, Kaylee Delay ran the race of her life to run. This is what it's a big gap because you run the race of your life in this thing, and you run nine twenty five, and you're contender. Fyrex and, and Coburn run terrible, and they run nine twenty. So, Fyrex, I'm a little bit worried about it because if you're ill, it's hard to make a team. But I think in the end she'll make it. I picked her third, but if she doesn't make it, to me it's Annie Rodenfels. She has better track PBs of the flat distances than Courtney Wayman. 410 in the 1500 versus 412. 1508 versus 1515. So, Yeah, I agree with you on that. She's also been running well and she can kick. So if someone from a big three slips up, I think Rodenfels is the one who sneaks in and makes the team. All right, now it's the women's 5,000. We've got Carisha Schweizer doubling back from the 1500. At least Cranny's entered. Now, Cranny is also entered in the 1500. I think it's less likely she runs that event. But from what I understand, her training has been going better recently. You know, they had she had some fatigue issues. They weren't really sure what was the cause of it. That's why she didn't run the 10K. But seems like she's coming around. You would think she should probably make the team. She is she's run 14:33 indoors this year, American indoor record. Courage-wise, you've got Wayne Kaladi ran sub-15 earlier this year. Ellie Hennis, last year's NCAA champion. She's run 15-03. You've got Natasha Rogers, who made the team in the 10K. Emily Enfeld, who just missed out in the 10K. Caitlin Tui is also the NCAA champion. She's entered in the 1500 as well. My guess is she'll only run the 5, but I reached out to Lori Hennis, her coach. Didn't hear back about what event she's doing. And then Ellie Parius St. Pierre is entered here, I think, probably just as a contingency uh, in case something disaster strikes in the 1500. Well, this is fascinating because there's so many people. We don't know if we're going to do it. By the way, Miss Tui, all the fans, I wanted to, I, I was desperate that she run the 1500. She might as well run both since the 1500 is over before the 5000. If what? I was her, I would run the 15 and the 5. No, she's gonna run the f- she's gonna run the five and think she can make this team in the five. She's run fifteen fourteen. This event's at least cranny. There's a lot of question marks. Okay, granted, she almost broke the American ten k record. She set the indoor five k record. She hasn't raced since that ten k. She missed the USA ten k champs. So, is she ready? Well, a she lot ran of question hundred. Well then, she did. Yeah, Mount Sac. She ran 4.08 in April. Okay, excuse me. She didn't race since April. Yeah. Right after the 10K, I guess. Well, the 10K was February or something. When was that thing? I knew she hadn't raced since April. I'm thinking 10Ks are in April. But, okay, Wayne and Kaladi, 14.57. I mean, that's she beat a bunch of these 
women um, in that race. But Ellie Hennis, Vanessa Fraser, Natasha Rutgers, they're all 1505 right in that range. So for me, as a fan, what I'm interested in is can Caitlin Tui go from 1514? Can she raise it to that next level? Because this thing is wide open. Now, Schweizer, if she's in this thing, could just push it. And if Cranny's fit, they're better than everybody else, and it'd be very different. But they may not take the world spot. So you could probably finish fourth in this race and maybe take a spot. Who knows? Maybe Schweizer will double or whatever. But oh. I would kind of almost, for the Caitlin Tui fanboys out there, not want to see Schweizer in this. See like a 15-minute race and see what Tui can do. I think everyone who makes this team is going to take the spot. I think Schweizer will make it and run in the 5K. Cranny has to take it because she's not on the 10K team. But I also do think, I mean, Caitlin Tui, how many women in this race could run 406 for 1,500 meters right now? Because that's what Caitlin Tui ran at the ACC Championships. So I do think, you know, she's run 1514, but you put her in this race, she might be able to run 150s. Her clothes is, she's not known for her kick, but it is improving. I feel like this is a year two, we might be like fourth or fifth in this kind of race. And then next year or the year after that is when she makes it to her first team. But her addition, yeah, I, I think, I say don't run the 1500. I think she's got a legit shot to make this team. She does not, you can't say the same in the 1500 meters. So put all your eggs in this basket and hope that you're, you can pull out a big performance. I hope that well, I would like her to skip worlds and get ready for cross country. Robert, please. Why? Um, stay in the college system. Don't get the desire to go pro. Just keep doing what you're doing. The money will be there massively in 2024. She, so she I, can I, run worlds and come back to college. We see this happen all the time. Many on the men's side, very often, yeah. the top athletes will run at the world championships or Olympics, and then come back and debut a little later and win NCAA cross. It's just a lot. I mean, Coburn used to do stuff like that. Then eventually she took one year off because she was racing so much. All right. Well, this should be exciting one. Sprints, women's 100. I mean, Shakari Richardson's the big name, but I I don't know if we can call her the favorite given that Aaliyah Hobbs has beaten her both times they've raced this year. That's going to be, I mean, that's just always exciting. It's always a big deal when she carries in there. Can she get redemption? You know, can she make a statement? Win the title a year after, you know, her, her D, well, yeah, DQ from the Olympic trials because of the marijuana positive. Women's, two, women's 200 should be exceptional with Gabby Thomas and Abby Steiner. Abby Steiner, who just broke the NCAA record in the. 200 running 2180 at NCAAs. Shakari Richardson also entered in that one, doubling back. We'll see if she runs it. 400, the big storyline. Can Allison Felix make the team in her final year? She hasn't been running amazing this year, but she still has the number three time in the field. She is the reigning Olympic bronze medalist. I would be, she, she's also a terrific championship performer, so I think she'll be on that team. And then 400 hurdles, Sydney McLaughlin and Dalila Muhammad. I mean, I guess this this one is more interesting. How fast does Sydney McLaughlin run? Because 
we don't see her run the 400 hurdles very often, but when she does, it's always special. She ran two championship finals last year and she set two world records in those races. So that should be, that's just exciting to see her go all, all out in a race. And then women's, women's 100 hurdles, I feel like is pretty open this year. The, the biggest, the fastest time in the field is Alicia Johnson, who is currently unsponsored, but she's run 1240. She'd never run faster than 1269 before this season. So that's anything stand out to you guys on the women's sprint side that you're most excited to see? What do you mean? Of course. Well, I want to see the world record from Shakari. No, I want to see the world record from Sydney, and I want to see Shakari. Shakari moves the needle for me. Why people are like, why are you obsessed? Because she's interesting. Let's run's job to make a boring sport interesting. Shakari, we should hire you as our first female and first minority employee. That's we, but I was looking Robert, at this. Not true. Women's five. We haven't had a. We've had a female ad salesperson before. She wasn't a minority. I don't think. I don't know. I didn't ask her race. I never met her in person. You can work remote for us at let'srun.com. Email me Ouija at let'srun.com. But yeah, Shakari moves the needle. The women's two hundred is great. I'm because last year, it'd be Gabby Thomas just sort of came out of nowhere and was just like PB, PB, PB each round, runs super fast. And I don't think she's the favorite, but can you say that Abby Steiner's the favorite off of one race at NCAs? So I, I don't know. I, I'm. Well, it's more than one race. She's been running pretty well all year, well then. I mean, definitely raised it to a new level. But yeah, she was beaten at SECs. So it's uh, what I'm interested to see, she she doesn't have all those other races that she normally, you know, she doesn't have a 4x4 to worry about. Actually, I'm not sure if she's entered at the 100 or not. But I, th- I think you have to say Stein is the favorite with how, how great that NCAA run was. But you know, Gabby Thomas is a, also Gabby Thomas. Did she had to pull out of uh, her last race? Right? What was that? Might be a little concerning that she's not running the same weekend when Abby Steiner is running at the national uh, running NCAA record. I think you have to go with Abby Steiner there. Well, yeah, she's not healthy for sure, and you know we pointed out. With Devin Allen on the Supporters Club podcast, I guess he'd won in, he got wins in Oslo and Paris, right? So he'd only won in Oslo in that Paris, in that point. Came back two days later, won in Paris, won both races. And people are going, he doesn't look that great. It's just a different thing to run with pressure. He still won both races. So if Abby Steiner goes into USA's with the pressure to win, you know, is she going to be ready for that? I think because she just went through the NCA system with a ton of pressure, she will be, but it's a big question mark. John says you have to consider Steiner the favorite. No, you don't have to consider her the favorite. I mean, Abby, Gabby Thomas is the Olympic bronze medalist who was undefeated in the 200 this year, opening up at 2169. I know it was windy. All right, that's a fair point. Maybe I am being a prisoner of the moment here, but but you you can make the case for either one. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, the combination of Steiner's running NCAA's and Gabby Thomas withdrawing from her last beat does have me. I think that shifts the balance towards Steiner, but that's that's a fair point, Robert. But it's going to be an amazing meet. I cannot wait. 
I'm actually more, I, see the one event I haven't written my preview for. For the, I'm, I'm in charge of the women's distance previews, women's five thousand with Tui in there. I just looked it up. Only twice has the winning time at USA has been under fifteen flat. Two thousand seven, Shailene Flanagan did it, running fourteen fifty one. And then Shailene. She, oh, not, in two thousand, folks. This is in the early days of Let's Run. Actually, I don't think Let's Run even existed. Well, maybe it did, but. This is not when the interview happened. Regina Jacobs ran an American record, 1445. Then they announced a few days later that there was going to be an APO test at the Olympics. And she said, oh, I'm not going to go to the Olympics. And folks, unlike the baseball journalist, I wasn't even a journalist. I was just some guy that started a blog called Let's Run.com. I was like, that seems, that's basically a confession that she's on EPO. So a couple years later, I had the opportunity to ask her a question. It was famous. We'll link to it in the show notes. How are people not all over that? Like, that that actually happened, Robert. She wins the Olympic trials in an American record. I think she was pretty old. She was in, like, well into her 30s at the time as well, right? And then they announced there's going to be an EPO test, and she says, oh, I don't want to run at the Olympics anymore? That's the most, the biggest red flag in the history of red flags. Hey, what was the fake injury? She said she, said she had an injury, John, but she, like, pulled out I got to give her credit for being a drug cheat. She was very gracious in the sense that she gave whoever the fourth placer was like a month notice. Cause she just said like a month out, like I'm not doing it. You think you would like try your best to get rid of the injury, but she's just like, like seriously, it was like weeks in advance. The Olympics, like I'm not doing the Olympics guys. Anything else with this podcast is a long one, but we really wanted to break down USA's. We have a second podcast every week, the Friday 15th. I'm not sure when it's going to be with the USAs. Maybe we'll do a live show, drop some podcasts. Who knows what's going to happen? Anything else you guys want to touch on? Should we give Fina a little clap on the back? Oh, I think this has gone on maybe very briefly here on this. I, you know, we did tease it at the start. FYI, I just Googled the Regina Jacobs thing. Apparently, she withdrew from the team. The official reason was a respiratory infection she said she is had she had problems with her breathing and lung capacity after the zurich golden league meet so that was the official reason for the withdrawal in 2000 i think i got the timing wrong she was withdrew on september 9th the olympics actually began on september well i don't know when track and field was track and field is normally the second weekend so probably September 24th or 5th. So I guess it was through a couple weeks. Yeah, the, the FINA thing, I mean, it's a swimming story, but it could have ripple effects, no pun intended, to track and field because they announced that any person who has gone through puberty, who, you know, this is, these are transgender guidelines here, and Anyone who went through puberty as a male cannot, you know, before the, oh, sorry, anyone who transitioned after the age of 12 from male to female will not be able to compete in the women's category in FINA swimming events. And that's obviously big news because I would say, I don't know what the stats on this, but I feel like most people are transitioning after age 12, which means they get the benefits of puberty and the reason it has track and field ties here is because Seb Coe, you know, he was interviewed by, I think, the BBC and a couple other outlets in 
the UK and was asked about this and sort of suggested that a similar sort of rule may be coming to track and field. Uh, his quote here, it's on the homepage, this is from the BBC article, we've always believed that biology trumps gender and will continue to review our regulations in line with this. When push comes to shove, if it's a judgment between inclusion and fairness, we will always fall down on the side of fairness. That is, That, for me, is non-negotiable. The integrity of women's sport is really, really important here, and we can't have a generation of young girls thinking there is not a future for them in the sport. So I, I actually commend Seb Coe for his stance on this. I think that they have made the correct decision with the hyperandrogenism guidelines. You know, they've been trying to maintain a level playing field, and I think they're trying to do the same thing here. It's not always going to be popular politically, but, you know, when you're in charge, you're going to make the tough decisions, and I, I think he got it right on the hyperandrogenism thing. It seems like they're going to be stiffening the transgender guidelines as well. I disagree with you. I think it's very popular politically. I think the vast majority of the world is for this type of decision. I just think that the most vocal, the ones most likely to protest are on the other side. That, that's actually a good point there, Robert, because the FINA ruling, 71, it passed with 71% of the vote from the FINA delegates to institute that. So it was a fairly popular measure. I mean, if each country has a single vote, I'm surprised it wasn't actually higher. But this ruling was encouraging to me. I think we've, people are so afraid of being called out. It's, I'm used to sort of being called transphobic. I don't even know what that means, but I still don't want to be called whatever it means. But this r ruling sort of puts some sanity back. I wish it was just outright. I don't care what you transition. Sharon Davies, she's like a BBC swimming pundit. She's an Olympian, Commonwealth Games champion. I think she had some quote essentially like, a woman just isn't a man unless testosterone. We all know the biology. So sure, there's gender and sex, but there's three places where biology does triumph. Sports, locker rooms, maybe prisons. I think I heard someone say. You can be whatever, dress how you want, do whatever you want, but like we all know a transgender woman is not the same thing as someone born female. So don't tell that to Leah Thomas, the University of Pennsylvania, former University of Pennsylvania swimmer, has come out today and said that if you don't believe that trans women should be allowed to compete in women's sports, you yourself are transphobic. So that means Caitlyn well, Jenner is I mean, transphobic. I, yeah, I guess I shouldn't be saying we all know a transgender woman isn't a woman even. The words have changed the meaning. That Without the words changing their meaning... Five years ago, that statement I just said wouldn't be controversial, and now I'm sure there's people who want to cue it up and cancel me for it. But, like, with the hist historical definition of those words, you know, a transgender woman isn't a female, however you want to say it. Like, it's, it shouldn't even be controversial to say. And, like, I think sports is going to lead some sanity back on this. And I don't know. I'm just, I don't know what people were afraid of to do this, but Sebco has been consistent all along, so he deserves major props because track never stepped into it too far i hate the phrase a transgender woman is a woman nope for me it's a transgender woman is a transgender woman i'm willing to show them respect call them she or her or whatever but i'm not gonna don't tell me what to do i'm just really proud of myself guys this was the first weekend i've been on three flights this year and on the first two i taught I, I the poor 25 year old female sitting next to me we started talking trans rights but this time i was too tired from the wedding i did not mention the word i'm done with this topic 
Hopefully forever. Okay. That is going to put a bow on a very big Let's Run.com podcast episode. We will have some sort of Friday 50. We'll have some post... Are we going to do post-meet reaction shows, guys? Or how are we going to handle this? I'll be in Eugene. You guys will not. But the meet ends fairly early on both Saturday and Sunday. So if we do want to do some sort of post-meet reaction show, that's feasible. Maybe we hash this out offline. But we'll have some sort of audio content from Eugene in addition to our recaps, video interviews, analysis. Well, we went nightly live from Tokyo and Belgrade. That's when we got a lot of supporting club members, but it's going to be hard to write no. the recaps and do that again. No, that's we're saving that for World Championships, right? I forgot about World Championships. I may have to go to them. All right, everybody. Rate and review us on iTunes. Do that now. It takes three seconds. Join the supporters club today. Remember, if you want to try the Airwave Endurance Mouthpiece, check it out. Airwave.com slash LR10. Link in the show notes. You can save 10%. If you want to take your running to the next level, you need to try this out. I've got mine. I have the now endurance medal. You have to fit these things, guys. I fitted mine. You need to take it out for the test. All right, guys. John, Robert, till next time.